Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. Make sure you check out our link tree in the description of this episode where you can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Okay, today is Tuesday, October 17th. Good show today, guys. John Burton from Nashville, uh, Sports Radio in Nashville, going to talk to us. Getting into the Predators starting up again. Um, obviously, the Titans going to talk to the Titans with him as well. The start of the season they've had so far. And uh, a lot of other things. Great interview with him coming up. Going to get in the writer's block today. Intakes and outtakes of the week like we always do. But starting off, like we always also do on our Tuesday show, recap of the week prior in the NFL. NFL week six, guys, in the books. We're going to just start right off the bat with you, Zach. Closest game mm-hmm. of the week. Yeah, closest game of the week's got to be the 49ers-Browns game. Full credit to Justin. He picked the Browns to win this game, mm-hmm. or at least make it close, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, 49ers lost Christian McCaffrey. They lost Debo Samuel, didn't have Greg Greenlaw, and yet they were a 41-yard field goal away from winning this game. It was really surprising because Brock Purdy, for the first time, loses in the regular season, did not play well, barely cracked 100 yards passing. Uh, the running game, obviously, without McCaffrey's essentially non-existent but the Browns defense might be the best defense in the league Miles Garrett that front seven is fantastic they got after uh, the 49ers all game long and really carried the Browns to victory without much offense I mean PJ Walker had no touchdowns and two interceptions not a particularly efficient game but anytime a game comes down to a last second field goal that's a pretty good indicator it was a close game so 49ers Browns closest game of the week yeah my closest game of the week I'm gonna go with Seahawks Bengals we talked about it last week, guys. Uh, the next four to five games are pretty much must-wins for the Bengals to get them back in the playoff contention, and they played like it this game. Offense really spattered out, though. They played. I mean, their first two runs of the game were touchdowns, and then they didn't end up scoring until the very end to you know get them up seventeen to fourteen to get over that hump and win uh, win the game ultimately. But Logan Wilson, eleven sacks, key sack that forced the Seahawks punt in the first half. Bengals, like I said, they played really well offensively the first two runs. They really spattered out over the last uh you know the rest of the game and the whole second half which is an absolute defensive juggernaut between the two sides they played so well uh all the scoring that you know the little bit of it that was scoring came in the first half and like i said really nothing else much going on in the second half uh Bengals needed to win this game to stay in playoff contention and they ended up doing it um what about you justin what was your closest game of the week Closest game, I'm going to go Saints and Texans. And that's a game we talked about a lot on Friday. And it was a close game, a 20-13 win Mm -hmm. by the Texans. C.J. Stroud doing enough to win this time. I know it was only 199 yards, two touchdowns, and only one interception on the game. Derek Carr had 353 yards, one touchdown, and one interception. Was sacked twice. C.J. Stroud was also sacked twice. But uh, impressive win for the Texans. They go to 3-3. Three and three. The Saints falling to 3-3. Three and three. I thought the Saints would have probably more wins than they've, than they've had. But they've gone off to a pretty slow start at 3-3. Three and three. And a uh, very impressive win by the Texans. We talked last week about the Texans, just how underrated they are. And really their defense has gotten so much better over the years. Obviously, C.J. Stroud's playing really, really well too. But just their defense, finally getting sacks, finally getting pressures on the ball. And it's really been showing in their last couple of games as well. Zach, we'll move on to you. What's your most intriguing game uh, this past weekend? 
Uh, most intriguing game from this last weekend. Let's see here. I'm actually going to go with the Bills and the Giants because this was a surprise that they came down to a last-second play, which should have been called a defensive hold, and the Giants should have had another opportunity. But I'm concerned about the Buffalo Bills long-term because this is a team that this season they beat up on the Dolphins and they beat up on the Raiders, but then they spend half their game playing with their food against the Giants. I, this is a game that they should have came out and take care of business. Instead, they turned the ball over twice in the first half, don't really get going until the second half. So I think the Bills for the long term, I'm a little bit concerned about them. And I'm not sure that I would have them there with, you know, Kansas City and Miami right now as the best teams in the AFC when this is just who the Bills have been the last couple of years. Even against bad teams, sometimes they just struggle to get into rhythm and they don't seem to handle it very well when the expectations are their highest. So I think Bills Giants was a little intriguing, much more than we thought. And you look at the Giants one in five, but they showed a little bit of fight. Maybe they can use that to uh, get themselves going on a schedule. It should lighten up a little bit. Yeah. It was the first time since 2019, the Bills were actually shut out in the first half. It's been a weird week. A lot of better teams playing down to their competition. I mean, obviously 49ers lost, Eagles lost, Bills struggled. We'll get to that a little bit later, but that's, that was my biggest takeaway of this week in general. Uh, my most intriguing storyline, though, speaking of the 49ers and Eagles, are they going to be in trouble the rest of the season? I know 49ers had a lot of injuries this past week. Trent Williams went out. Debo Samuels went out. Chris McCaffrey went out. Uh, Brock Purdy, without the three of them, did actually struggle a lot. Probably had the worst game of his time in San Francisco of his NFL career. Only 125 yards with one touchdown, one interception. Clearly not comfortable without having uh, those three guys, McCaffrey, Samuel, and Williams, along with him. Um, yeah, I mean, it took, it took a last minute field goal with the Browns, like we talked about earlier, were able to take away, uh, this, this victory from the 49ers and on the Eagles side of things, they, their offense looked atrocious. I know we'll, we'll probably get to it more as the show goes on, but their offense was just absolutely atrocious. They couldn't get anything. I mean, four trips to the red zone resulted, resulted in four field goals. Lane Johnson's out now. We don't really know what's going to be up with him the rest of the season. Um, you know, with that ankle injury that he had on Sunday. Going down the stretch here as the second half of the season kind of comes into play. I mean, are, we, are they going to be as dominant as they were, as they were in, you know, beginning of the season? That's my most intriguing storyline that I that I got away from this past past week, week six. Uh, Justin, how about you? What is your most intriguing storyline? Well, I want to continue with the Eagles as my most intriguing storyline. I think this team might be in some trouble, and I think this coaching staff is very, very questionable right now. And that's why Jalen Hurts is playing the way he's playing. This offensive system is not for Jalen Hurts. I, I I know that he's been struggling all season long. I thought last week they had a very complete win against the Rams. But against the Jets this week, not, not at all. And that was probably the biggest upset of the week besides the 49ers losing this, this team is in trouble. This team is in trouble with Lane Johnson getting hurt, Reed Blankenship in the secondary also getting hurt. And they've, they've had some injuries even with Jalen Carter and Darius Slay going into the game as well. This Eagles coaching staff is very questionable. The defensive coordinator, Sean Desai, I think did a pretty good job in this game. I think he's been doing better as the season has gone along. But – the coaching staff, in my opinion, is hurting Jalen Hurts. This coaching staff is not is is not a Super Bowl coaching yeah. staff right now. And I'll be honest with you: if they don't get to the Super Bowl, if they don't get to the NFC title game, if they if they go ten and seven or eleven and six, 
yeah, they might win the division, might get a wild card, but I am concerned about their schedule coming in the in the future here. These next eight games are going to be a gauntlet. That's going to be a tough yeah. schedule. And with these injuries and the coaching staff with Sirianni and with Brian Johnson, I don't I'm I'm concerned. I am very concerned. And even starting off five and oh, I thought this team had it together after the Rams game. And then they lose to the Jets. They lose to the Jets. They lose to Zach Wilson. I, I couldn't be more concerned about this team going forward. And if they go 10 and 7, 11 and 6, maybe it's time to think about changing coaches in Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, Jalen Hurts, he tied his interception total. I mean, with three, that's the most that he ever had in his career in one game. And like I said, probably his worst game of his career, period. And that, that's without Sauce Gardner or DJ Reed in the backfield for the Jets, too. I'm just going to say this about the Eagles. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. It's their yeah. first loss of the season. They'll be fine. Quinton Williams with a pick. Quincy Williams recovered fumble. Uh, like you said, uh, Justin, Zane Johnson's out. That's, I mean, that's a massive for their O-line. I mean, they need him very, very badly. But I agree, Zach. It's the first game of the season. Their offense hasn't been that good, I mean, up to this point. It, it looks like it finally kind of caught up to them. It did. It looked like it did caught up to them. And the problem I was going to say is with the with the offense, it's been building up over time now for the last six weeks. That's my biggest concern. Is yep. is this going to keep building up? Is does it if it goes into the Miami game? I think we need to sound the alarms here. If it doesn't, if they come out and win next week against the Dolphins, then I could relax. Surprise of the week. Two biggest games were surprises of the week. But Zach, anything in particular, anything new you want to throw in with the surprises of the week? Uh no, I think that's pretty much those are the two surprises. The 49ers and the Browns game, and obviously the Jets beating the Eagles. But I'll say this Robert Sala, I think, is doing a pretty good coaching job. He's beaten the Bills, he's beaten the Eagles with Zach Wilson as a starting quarterback, and the Jets still have a playoff pulse at this point. And it's because this defense is, I think, the best defense in the NFL. I know the Browns statistically have that title. The 49ers are always up there. This Jets defense has single-handedly won two games this year and kind of actually won last week against the Broncos as well. So I, I, even without Sauce Gardner, even without DJ Reed, Quinnen Williams is fantastic. That linebacking core is fantastic. I think Robert Sala is doing a heck of a coaching job. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you look at the, the teams he's beat. Obviously, he's beat, um, you know, he's beat Allen and the Bills. He's beaten, you know, the Eagles and Hurts now. He almost beat Kansas City, and they're a team that plays up to their opponents for sure. They want that Patriots game back. That's the one that I don't I don't know what happened in that one, but if they won that, they'd be 4-2, and two and they'd be in much better position than they're in now. Yeah, if they had a better quarterback, maybe a healthier Aaron Rodgers, and a better offensive line, this would be better than a 3-3 three and three team that they are right now. They may be a Super Bowl contender in the AFC with Miami and Kansas City. Probably mm -hmm. even better than the Bills. If they had Rodgers, they'd be a Super Bowl yeah. contender. I like the roster more than the Bills roster. My surprise, Jets-Eagles. Uh, we already kind of talked about it enough. Um, Jake Elliott had a chance to win at the end. Couldn't do it. Uh, Jets obviously do end up beating the Eagles. We already talked about this at length. Justin, anything new for you for surprise of the week, or is it pretty much things we've already talked about already so far mostly things we already talked about but the cleveland browns surprising the 49ers as zach alluded to at the beginning of the show i got the pick right i got the upset pick 
of the week, right, with the Browns and the 49ers. And it looks – it's definitely – losses happen like that. And I'll say even with the Eagles, even with the 49ers, just a weird week with the NFL. Are you guys concerned with how lost Brock Purdy looked with no. the three of them going? No. It's, when you don't have your best weapon in Debo Samuel or your best weapon, Christian McCaffrey, that, that happens. I'm not concerned. Injuries play a role. But people are already starting to come out and say that he's only been good because he has so many pieces and such a good system around him. He did get him into field goal range. I mean, if Jake Moody makes the kick, we're not having this conversation. That's true, but he might hit a rookie wall. I mean, that happens. Okay, Zach, what is your shootout of the week? Uh, really not a big-time week for offenses, but the shootout this week is the Colts and the Jaguars. 37-20 uh, to 20 in that game. The Jaguars' offense doing what we kind of expected that they would do. The Colts still have not won down there since 2014. But the big story out of this game is Trevor Lawrence limping after the game because uh, he hurt his quad because they ran an option play for him up 34-20 to 20 for reasons that I cannot possibly explain. But Travis Etienne had two rushing touchdowns. They intercepted Gardner Minshew three times, took advantage of some short fields. And the Jaguars are fully now in control of the AFC South. They've won three in a row. They've kind of gotten out of their funk. This looks like the Jaguars team that we expected them to look like at the start of the season, which makes them a contender in the AFC. Yeah, my uh, shoot of the week, always. I mean, it pretty much is always a shoot of the week. Dolphins, Panthers. My biggest takeaway for this, I mean, Dolphins can just flip a switch whenever they want to. Uh, they were down 14 to nothing against the Panthers. Um, and then they realized that they were pay- playing the Panthers and they got their act together and came back and scored 35 unanswered points. Dolphins themselves can cover the over-unders each game, especially against a team like the Panthers. Young played probably his best game as a Panther, though, and you know, kudos to him. 23 for 38 with 217 yards. He was sacked four times, though. Obviously, that offensive line is still a major, major problem. Highest QBR of the of the year so far for him, 85.1. Adam Thielen looking like a really good wide receiver for them. Definitely going to be a viable wide receiver one going down the road. Topped 100 yards receiving for the second straight game with 115 yards and 11 catches. Miami just has too many too many weapons, though. Mostert, Waddle, Hill, Ahmed. I mean, they just, like I said, they break, they almost break overs just by themselves uh, every single week. They're most likely probably going to be my over of the week yeah. uh, every single week. Maybe not this upcoming week because they're playing a defense that can actually challenge them a little bit. Justin, what is your shootout of the week? Shootout of the week, a little bit of a lower scoring shootout, but I'll go with it anyway. The Falcons hosting the Commanders. The Falcons should have put up more points of this game. Desmond Ritter, 28 for 47, 307 passing yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions. Sam Howell went 14 for 23 with 151 yards, three touchdowns, no interception. Very, very close win for the Commanders. feel like the Falcons were going to make this a shootout and should have made it a shootout, but uh, it was the Commanders coming away with the win. Falcons, not I would say an impressive start. They're only 3-3, three and three, the same with the Commanders. Sam Howe might be a pretty good quarterback for Washington, might be, the, might be their guy going forward in the future. Yeah, um, and Desmond Ritter, on the other flip of the coin, I, we don't really know about him yet. He's kind of like a roller coaster. He goes up and down. He had a really good game last week, but then he threw three interceptions uh, this week. And still threw for 307 yeah. yards and two touchdowns. Yeah, kind of like a, a Josh Allen uh, um, box score almost. Obviously not as good as Josh Allen, but kind of very similar. Uh, 
not really taking care of the ball as much, but still getting a lot of yardage and touchdowns, that's for sure. But, you yeah, know, Sam Howell, awesome, awesome game for him. Uh, definitely I, the commanders might have finally found a quarterback in Washington after 30 tries, but we'll see. We'll see if that actually sticks. Other side of the coin, guys, snoozer of the week. Zach, what was your snoozer of the week for you? Uh, Rams, Cardinals. There's nothing notable about this game. The Rams were in control pretty much the entire time. Cooper Cup, Kyron Williams had some rushing touchdowns, but the Cardinals, we all know what they are at this point. They had a good win against the Cowboys, but outside of that, this is just an offense that's offensively challenged. Uh, the defense held up as long as they could. The Rams, they're a good team, not a great team, and just nothing really notable to speak of in this game. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. My um my snooze of the week, we already kind of talked about it already, but uh, the Giants game from last night or Sunday night. Um, yeah, that game was just Giants Bills. I mentioned it earlier, it was the first time since 2019 for the Bills that they had a shutout in the first half. Uh this was a you know, it's just an ugly game overall. It actually took pretty much a no call, almost a no call on a uh holding penalty to, to you know, have Buffalo come away with this victory. I was going to say, that makes it not a snooze fest if it comes down to the last play of the game. Even if it was a 14-9 final. Right. It was supposed to be a game that was a blowout. I mean, everyone thought... So it it was a better game than people thought. It was a close game, but not not an explosive game. Not like a good offensive game is kind of my point. Uh, Saquon Barkley's back, though. 93 yards, 24 carries in his first game after, you know, nursing that ankle injury. So that's good to see. And uh, apparently it helped the Giants a lot, too. It kept them in the game against one of the best teams in the league. Justin, what was your snoozer of the week? Snoozer of the week, I'll go with the Giants and Bills. I locked up the Bills this this past week, but they just weren't. But they kind of played down to the Giants as a lot of the teams were doing this week. It was an upset. It was almost an upset in this one. And... Once again, another weird, just a weird week. Probably the mm-hmm. weirdest week of the NFL season by far, as I'll, as I'll say. I mean, the Giants almost won on the last play of the game. And look at the what they did at before the half, too. Got to get a playoff. Or even got to put up three points on the board. They couldn't do that. And they probably would have won the game had they had they have done that. Or maybe even tie the game and go into overtime if Buffalo would have had, had to go for two yep. in that situation or have just kicked the extra point. That would have been would have been a toss-up in that game. Full list of games. We already talked about the Commanders, uh, Falcons, uh, Colts, Jaguars, Vikings, Bears. Vikings, Bears, right. Yeah, Justin Fields got hurt. That's the big story out of that game. Yeah. Dislocated thumb, I think it was, right? That's right. Ravens-Titans, I thought that was going to be a lower-scoring game. Probably not a... Yeah, lower scoring, 24-16 win for the Ravens. Much better game for Baltimore this week. Yeah, definitely. No, we'll have, um, you know, you know, we have John coming on in a second here. John Burton talking about, we'll talk about that game with him. Saints, Texas, we talked about. Patriots, Raiders, do we want to talk about the Patriots, Raiders? Um, I'll have something to say about that game later on. Okay. Bad offensive line, terrible offensive line play for really both teams. And uh, yeah. Low scoring, just not a very a fun game to watch. Patriots, once again, in the Caleb Williams Bowl. Very fresh in the Caleb Williams Bowl. Could have been could have been 0-6 with the Panthers. Could have had the number two pick by now. Belichick, who knows what's going to happen to him at the end of the year. Might be his last, last year in New England for right now. Yeah, I still don't know if he... I know we talked about it on 
previous shows. I don't know if he's going to retire. Might go elsewhere. Lions-Bucks, I don't think we talked about this game. Um, I'm surprised it was uh, as low scoring as it was and also not as close mm-hmm. as it was. I thought this game would be really close, and I thought it would be a pretty high-scoring game. Uh, yeah. What's your thoughts, Zach? Yeah, the best part of this game was the Bucks creamsicle jerseys. I think they should do that more than once a year. But uh, outside of the rest of that, the Lions take care of business. Amon Ross St. Brown had a touchdown. Uh, David Montgomery being hurt, that's going to be a big impact for them going forward. But maybe we start believing in the Lions now. They're 5-1. and one. They beat the champs on the road. I mean, what else do they have to prove right now? Yeah, defense came up big. Uh was terrific all game holding the bucks out of the end zone and limiting them to just 251 total yards bucks converted just two third downs all game and had 46 rushing yards it's it uh usually a team that's pretty good on the ground actually the bucks are usually pretty good at running the ball and yeah only 43 or 46 total yards of rushing uh golf through for 350 yards plus two touchdowns and uh yeah even without montgomery and gibbs Lions offense, still really, really good. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any other game to get into. I think we talked on all of them. So let's move on to college football. Oregon, Washington. I think this might be the best game of the year now, guys. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, Total, total uh, amazing matchup. Over 950 total yards on the game. Oregon a tight, slightly more with 540 and then Washington with 415. Um, yeah, it's the 115th matchup between the rivals, but it was the first that featured both teams ranked in the top 10 out of all the 115 matchups. What are your guys' thoughts on this game? I mean, was this the best game of the year so far in college football? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about it. This was the best game of the season. Michael Penix, I think, has established himself as the front runner for the Heisman, considering what Caleb Williams didn't do against Notre Dame and what Michael Penix did. Four touchdown passes in this game, including the game winner, Roma Dunzier, one of the best receivers in all of college football. This had a feel of whoever got the ball last would win, and Washington didn't get it last. Oregon did, but Washington took advantage of the opportunity that they were able to get, and you know, there was enough defense that this wasn't quite the shootout maybe that some people thought. But back-to-back years, Washington wins by three after Dan Lenning makes a questionable coaching decision. Three times he goes for it, passes up two field goals, and then at the end, fourth and three, he has a chance to basically end the game if they pick up that first down. And instead, they don't get it. And I think he should have punted the ball and made Penix have to go the length of the field there. I did not like that decision to go for it there. And this felt like a game that Oregon gave away, but at the same time, Michael Penix and company went out and took this game. So Washington now becomes the favorite in the Pac-12. I think there's a good chance we're going to see a rematch of these two teams in the Pac-12 championship game because this game was phenomenal. I hope we get it again. The atmosphere up in Seattle was fantastic. Uh, this this is the game of the season so far. Yeah. Uh, Penix, t- uh, 22 for 37, uh, 302 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, like you said, Zach, clear betting favorite now. Um, to win the Heisman. If he keeps playing like this, he he will lock down the Heisman for sure. There's no doubt about that. Other side of the coin, USC finally crumbles with their bad defense. Looks really bad all game. Yeah, what are you guys' thoughts on this? Caleb Williams not even breaking 200 yards, one touchdown for three interceptions. I think this game alone might have lost him his Heisman bid. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think so. I yeah, I don't think he's the front runner either, and and USC is not a college football playoff team after this game. They are not a top four team. 
No, and they're not a top 10, top 15 kind of team right now. This is a team that's been fixing to get beat for a couple weeks now. You know, they really struggled against Colorado, gave up 41 points, and then last week gave up 41 against Arizona. Should have lost that game. They deserve to lose this game. Notre Dame was the better team, dominated defensively. They were able to get pressure on Caleb Williams, kept them in the pocket, you know, five sacks, three interceptions. Never seen Caleb Williams look that confused before. Notre Dame dominates the lines of scrimmage, and this has been a common theme with Lincoln Riley coach teams. His teams are not good in the trenches, and they always seem to give up big plays defensively, and that came home to roost this week. And, you know, it was just a matter of time before USC bit the bullet, and they finally did this week. Colorado hype. Guys, I think it's officially over. I mean, it was over pretty much last week and two weeks ago, maybe two. But they were up 29 nothing at halftime and ended up losing this game. Uh, absolute terrible, terrible loss. Uh, what else do you guys have to talk about this game? Inexcusable to be up 29 nothing and lose. Like Especially with the clock rules changing, especially with Shadur Sanders going on Instagram and selling merch at halftime. Like I don't have a problem with you selling merch, but go out and finish the game if you're going to do that. And he did not. Uh, they turned the ball over too much. Stanford had a receiver go for 294 yards in just the second half alone, including one of the most remarkable touchdown grabs you'll ever see when he pinned it on Travis Hunter's back and uh, caught it off the top of his helmet. The very definition of you got Moss there. And this is a Stanford team that lost to Sacramento State. I mean, this is not a good team. And for Colorado to blow this game, this is a bad look for them. And now I, I struggle to see where they're going to be able to win two more games to go to a bowl game because this was kind of one of the games that everybody assumed that they would win. And if they had, they'd be 5-2, and two, and all they had to do is win one more, and they go to a bowl game. And now I don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah, not to state the obvious, but um, you know, Stanford's just probably one of the worst teams in the Pac-12, too, if not the whole <laughs> – not all, not all of college football. Um, Alabama this week, um, once again, surviving a really tough loss. Or a tough – I mean, surviving in a tough win, I should say. Um Two halves for Jalen Milrose, a uh, tale of two halves, played great in the first half, 21-6 halftime lead the Tide had, but no offense in the second half, and it allowed uh, Arkansas to come back. And, yeah, luckily Alabama and Milrose were able to get enough time out running the clock and escape with a win. But do you guys think Alabama should be a top-10 team after, after this week? No. No? They are not a top 10 team, maybe a top 15 team, but they are not a top 10 team or a borderline college football playoff team. They haven't been playing like it so far this year. Okay, moving on. Iowa, gritty defensive win against Wisconsin, 15-6. to Guys, I have a question for you after this game. Are we concerned about the talent discrepancy between the Big Ten East and the Big Ten West? Oh, no, this has been a clear discrepancy from the very beginning. There's, It's obvious there's three dominant teams in the Big Ten, Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, and then the rest of the conference is mediocre at best. I mean, Iowa's offense is, again, offensive to watch. They won 15-6, to but it was because they broke off one long touchdown run by LaShawn Williams, 82 yards in the first half. They had a safety and two field goals. That's how you win a game 15-6. to and Wisconsin, a little disappointing, I think, in Luke Fickle's first year. Tanner Mordecai gets hurt, breaks his hand, and he's going to be out indefinitely. I think there's a good chance you're going to see Iowa in the Big Ten championship game, which, I mean, Iowa versus any of the top three teams in the Big Ten, that is not going to be a pretty game in the Big Ten title game. I mean, any anyone – uh, in the Big Ten, I mean, anyone in the Big Ten, um, I mean, at that side of the conference will look 
will look bad. Anyone in the Big Ten West against anyone in the Big Ten East is going to be a really bad game. Well, we don't have to worry about that next year because there'll be no divisions, and then uh-huh. Oregon, Washington, uh-huh. USC, and UCLA all come in. So, yeah, definitely. Any other college games? Do you want to touch base on have a have a point for before we on the new week's resolution? Uh, Brock Bowers is going to be out four to six weeks with an ankle injury, so that's obviously a huge loss for Georgia. He's by far their best offensive weapon. They have no real solid wide receivers, and the running backs have been a little inconsistent at best. So that's a big blow for this team going forward, and now I think we have to look at Georgia a little bit differently. I don't think any of us think they're the number one team in the country, and if they don't have Brock Bowers, I think they're going to have uh, some trouble offensively. Yeah, Georgia, along with Alabama and some other teams, were one of those teams in the beginning of the year that were having, you know, a lot of the the, the QB, con- not controversy, but the QB battle, not really knowing who was going to be that QB one. So uh, I don't know who they really have behind him. I don't probably not as good as Brock, Brock Bowers, but uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens with Georgia and see if they can bounce back. New week's resolutions, guys. Uh, Zach, we'll start with you. What is your new week's resolution? Uh, my new week's resolution, the New England Patriots, please play somebody else at quarterback. Mac Jones, the experiment's over. It's over. It's done. We can't play. We saw last yesterday just through one of the worst interceptions you'll ever see. Air mails a guy just badly, and he's hurting the Patriots every time he's out there. This is an offense that can't move the ball across the street. Uh, they can run the ball a little bit, but the passing game is borderline pathetic, and you got to see what you got and either Bailey's happy, Malik Cunningham, figure something out. The Patriots are not good and they're not going to do anything the rest of the year. So I think it's time to figure out what you might have else at the quarterback position. Bench Mac Jones. For me, my new, new week's resolution is going to be Atlanta Falcons sticking to their run heavy identity against Washington. They put a lot more faith in Desmond Ritter. Uh, he, you know, he bought, he played really well last week, but as we said earlier this past weekend, he did not play well at all. Um, they need to, when they do well, the Falcons are doing well, they're, they're running the ball and that's what they need to stick to beach on Robinson, Tyler Algier. I mean, they continue to be absolute studs on the Falcons and we can see when they, when they break away from that run identity and they try to throw the ball a little bit more, it's, that's when they really start, start to have problems. I mean, we already, we already talked about it. Uh, Ritter, despite having 307 yards, uh, this past week, he had three interceptions. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I just think. You know, earlier in the year, their first two, maybe even third game, I think that was a big part of their identity was running the ball. That's what helped them, you know, win those games. And I think that I want to see the Falcons go back to doing that more and uh, not relying on Ritter so much to uh, to make plays in the air. Justin, what is your new week's resolution? New week's resolution, give DeAndre Swift the ball more. That's another reason they lost to the Jets. Ten carries for 18 yards on the ground. How do you not give him the ball more than 10 times, at least 20 times, maybe at least 15 times for more rushing yards? You've got to run the ball in those situations, especially I believe the Jets' rush, rushing defense was 29th ranked. You've got to run the ball more. You can't just throw the ball 45 times a game. Yep. You just can't. Even with those weapons, you can't – you got to – run the ball more and that's where the coaching staff is another reason why the coaching staff is making me sweat and making the Eagles sweat and ruining this team ruining this team that has a chance he had a fumble though swift he did have a fumble he contributed to the four turnovers i mean three were from hurts obviously still gotta run the ball more i agree all right, guys, we're going to move on to John Burton uh, in Nashville. Talk to, uh, you know, break down the Titans game this past week and, uh, you know, 
Predators are back as well. Get into a lot of things with him and just overall great interview. A lot, a lot of Titans talk and uh, you know, like I said, puck drop for the Predators just last week as well. So, yeah. Without further ado, let's head on to Nashville and talk to John Burton. Okay, we now head to the Music City and bring on Rod uh, John Burton from Channel Five in Nashville. John, how you doing? Thank you for coming on. Really appreciate your time and talk some Titans and uh, Predators with you. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, great to be on. Thank you for inviting me on. I'm excited to uh, be uh, to uh, chop it up with you guys today. So, John, uh, John, um, 24-16 uh, loss in London this past weekend. The Baltimore Ravens two and four heading to the bye. Thir- minus 13 point differential this season as well. What are the fans thinking going forward? Are we? What are like the expectations for the Titans really for the fans? Is it just playoff? They're excited, or do they expect even more from this team? Do they want to go even further than just making the playoffs, or is just making the playoffs alone a successful season for the Titans? Well, that's an interesting question because you know going into the off season, you know they got a new general manager and Rand Carthon, and there was a lot of speculation about the direction of this team, immediate and long term. You know, there were there was some talk during the offseason that maybe they were going to try to shop Derrick Henry before the draft, try to pick up some more draft capital. He's in the last year of his contract. Same for Ryan Tannehill. Maybe see if anybody was, you know, in, in the need for a veteran quarterback with a lot of experience who's won games in this league. Ryan Tannehill's in the last year of his contract. They asked Kevin Byard, they're all pro uh, safety and, and defensive captain to take a pay cut. Uh, you guys usually know what happens after a player is asked to take a pay cut, what comes next. Uh, but it did a lot. He did agree to it, and that did allow them to sign DeAndre Hopkins. So when they weren't able to move Henry, allegedly, when they weren't able to move Tannehill, allegedly, and they were able to sign DeAndre Hopkins, I think the feeling was, hey, let's try to make one more run. Let's try to win this division because most people thought this was going to be a two-horse race in the AFC South between the Titans and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Let's try to win the division, get a home playoff game, maybe win that, get into the divisional round, and kind of see what happens after that. Make one last run. I, I, I've likened it kind of to the last dance, right? It's a little bit different than the Chicago Bulls of the 90s, you know, that won six championships. But, you know, felt like kind of a last dance because the Titans have had a pretty good run since 2018 under Mike Vrabel. They've made the playoffs a bunch, a couple of divisional titles, got to the AFC Championship game in 2019. And I think the feeling was, well, let's try one more time, and then next year we'll hit the reset button. You know, they have two young quarterbacks, Malik Willis and Will Levis, that eventually they're going to have to see what they have in, you know, one or both of those guys. But I think the feeling was we can win this division. We can make one more playoff push. But what we've seen is, you know, you mentioned it, Titans off to a 2-4 and start. And the fact that, you know, the two teams that many thought were going to be speed bumps in this division, the Colts and Texans, playing pretty darn well with rookie quarterbacks and yeah. uh, you know, they're not the, they're not the easy pushovers. I think a lot of people thought they would be. So, you know, this division is a lot more competitive than people expected. And so, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a roundabout way of basically saying maybe the Titans were a little bit overvalued going into this year. I certainly felt that a lot of people thought, well, we're not buying Jacksonville. We don't know how good they're going to be yet. And, you know, the Titans with DeAndre Hopkins and a still effective uh, Derrick Henry and a still productive Brian Tannehill, we can make a run at this thing. But so yeah. far, you know, it hasn't really worked out. What do the fans think about the quarterback situation with the Titans? Mm. Well, it's kind of up in the air right now, right? You know, you have, like I said, you have Ryan Tannehill, who now is injured. We don't know, you know, how severely and how, if he'll miss games. And, you know, they drafted Malik Willis last year. 
moved up to get him. And then that was under the old uh, general manager, John Robinson. Now Rand Carthon comes in. They move up in the second round to get Will Levis out of Kentucky. I think the feeling is, you know, we amongst the fans, we've kind of gone as far as we can go with Ryan Tannehill. We like him. We respect him. He's a good quarterback. He's not an elite quarterback. And he's probably not a guy that can lead you to a championship. I think the feeling is, especially if these losses continue to pile up, all right, we need to see one of these younger guys, whether it's Willis or Levis. We need to see one of these younger guys and see if we have a future with one of these guys going forward after, you know, more than likely Tannehill leaves after this year. Are, are fans upset that they haven't even given Levis, Levis a try yet? I mean, will uh, you know, Malik Willis, he's, uh, yeah, he's played some time so far, uh, but are they, are they, are they accept that Levis has not had any playtime yet? Not even seen the field yet? Uh, I wouldn't say upset. I would say probably curious. Yeah. And again, as if these losses continue to mount up and they fall further and further out of the divisional and, you know, wild card playoff chase, I think the need or the, the, the want by the fans to see what Levis can do um, will grow because we seen Malik Willis last year and he's a tremendous athlete, but right now it doesn't appear he has the requisite skill set to be an effective quarterback. You know, he still holds the ball too long. You saw him take a bunch of sacks at a critical time last, last week in the London game at a time where they were trying to, you know, get points in a hurry, which you can't do. And I'm sure the curiosity factor will grow for uh, Will Levis. And, you know, the feeling is probably, listen, Rand Carthon, the GM, he didn't draft, uh, Malik Willis, he did draft Will Levis. So the feeling is eventually we're going to see Levis get a shot to be the guy. Maybe they move on from Willis. Maybe they try to see what they can get for him uh, in terms of draft capital. But, you know, I don't think the fans are upset yet. But if these losses keep piling up, I think the 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 fan base will probably start to, you know, pine for, hey, let's see what Levis can do. You know, we've seen him in the SEC. Obviously, this is SEC country here in Tennessee with you know, UT and Vanderbilt, et cetera, et cetera. There's kind of a love-hate relationship with Will Levis because there are a lot of Vols fans here that, uh, you know, didn't particularly care for him when he played for Kentucky. But now that, you know, he's on the Titans, I'm sure they're going to want to get a look at him at some point, uh, assuming that the Titans, you know, continue to lose games and fall out of the playoff chase. And I think that's a pretty good bet. What, What the dynamic will be in terms of, you know, how much of a shot does Willis get versus how much of a shot that Levis gets remains to be seen. Are fans surprised by how well the AFC South has been this year? I mean, particularly Colts and Texans. Mm-hmm. Usually Colts and Texans, at least the last, you know, three, four years have been a team that you can kind of push aside, you know, and count on that te- Titans would be better than them, have a better record. But now they sit as both Colts and Texans sit three and three, and obviously Titans are yeah. two and four going into the bye week. So are fans like, I don't want to say upset for lack of better words, but kind of, kind of like, I mean, this is, I mean, usually those are two teams that you can count on, you know, being at the bottom of the league, not even just the division, but bottom of the league. And they've actually been exceeding expectations and, you know, it's going to make that, make it obviously that much harder to, uh, you know, get that divisional title like you were referring to earlier. Yeah, you're hundred percent right. I mean, uh, I can't speak for the fans. I know I am surprised because again, we said all summer long that this was going to be a two horse race in the AFC South. They would either be Titans or Jaguars. And my feeling was kind of like, you know, these, these mid majors in the NCAA tournament, right? You got to win your conference tournament in order to make the tournament. It's a one bid league. 
I believe going in that the AFC South was going to be a one bid uh, division in terms of getting a playoff team in and, and whoever wins the division would get in. And yeah, I think a lot of people thought that, you know, the Colts and, and Texans, as we said earlier, you know, starting rookie quarterbacks, both have new head coaches, that these teams would not be competitive uh, this year. And that, you know, these almost you could chalk up three, maybe four wins uh, playing these two teams, which would help your divisional record. But yeah, these teams have been feisty. They've been competitive. Um, they've done a great job. I think uh, Steichen with the Colts and D'Amico Ryans with the Texans, they've both done great jobs of keeping their teams competitive. And right now they, you know, they're in a better position than the Titans are. So are the fans surprised? I would, I, I, I certainly am. And uh, I'm sure the fans are as well. This is not what they expected. No one expected the Titans heading into their bye week to be uh, last in their division at two and four and zero and one in the division, having lost to the Colts already. So, did the fans actually think that they had a chance to beat the Jaguars for the division at start of the season? Maybe not. I mean, it might be a little, oh, yeah, little bit dimmer, definitely. Like, dimmer now, but they did. Okay. Mm-hmm. The feeling amongst the fans all summer was, we're not buying the Jaguars. Yeah, they made the playoffs last year. Yeah, they won a playoff game. You know, they won the division because they got hot last year. But, you know, the fact that the Titans got cold, right? The Jaguars won seven straight. The Titans lost seven straight to end last year. They, In their mind, the fans thought, this is a fluke. You know, the Jaguars aren't that good. Lawrence is not that good of a quarterback yet. And, you know, the people around him, um, are not as formidable as we thought. And they thought that this was going to be a bounce back year for the Titans. They would win this division and, you know, get that home playoff game, maybe win that. Like I said, move on to the division around and take your chances. I think a lot of people, a lot of fans here in Nashville were expecting the Titans to win a lot of games, especially when they signed DeAndre Hopkins late in the offseason. They thought that would be the missing piece to get them over the top, win this division. And, and at least make another playoff run before, you know, the reset button is ultimately hit, which I think will be like, uh, next year. Let's talk about Hopkins. Are they uh, are the fans um, satisfied with how he's been playing so far? Or I mean, I know it's obviously Tannehill is the one throwing the ball. Tannehill hasn't been playing the best season right. he's been, you know, he's ever played. But are the fans overall uh, happy with his performance so far? I wouldn't say they're unhappy with DeAndre Hopkins' production so far, but I think they're a little underwhelmed. I think they had visions of these big plays downfield, and we all know DeAndre Hopkins' ability to attack the ball in the air and make contested catches and move the chains and that kind of thing. And we haven't seen that on a consistent basis, right? He did have a really good game against the Colts a couple weeks ago, eight catches on 10 targets for 140 yards. But the problem isn't so much Ryan Tannehill or DeAndre Hopkins. It's this entire uh, Titans offense, guys, because they really don't have an, an identity. You know, a few years ago when they were winning games, double-digit games, it was, you know, establish the run with Derrick Henry, work your big plays in the passing game off play action, off the run game. But we haven't really seen that. You know, they have a new offensive coordinator this year in Tim Kelly, and he's been creative. He's dialed some pretty good things up. But, you know, we haven't seen that on a consistent basis. And, you know, they, this team is bogged down in the red zone. We've seen too many times where they've had double-digit play drives only, you know, ending in field goals. You know, in their three wins – or I'm sorry, in their two wins, the Titans have two – or excuse me, six offensive touchdowns. In their four losses, they have two. And too many times, you know, they move it well between the 20s, but when they get bogged down in the red zone and, and you know, the play calling has been a little bit unimaginative, if, if, if you're asking me. 
and they're settling for too many field goals. So this offense as a whole needs to establish an identity. Now, a lot of it is because, you know, they're missing some guys. Kyle Phillips just came back. Their slot wide receiver. Um, you know, they're, they're, they've, they've dealt with some injuries to some key positions. Offensive line has been a shuffle. You know, they just, you know, we saw Nicholas Petit Frere play left tackle. He was their starting right tackle last year. Um, you know, they benched Andre Dillard, who they signed in the offseason. They're working Petit Frere at left tackle. You know, I just got done before we came on watching the uh, the replay of the uh, of the London game because I was, you know, I was out of town. I was I was busy over the weekend to get a chance to watch it. So I watched it right before we came on. And I thought Petit Frere did a pretty good job at left tackle. So there's been a lot of moving parts, man. You know, Traylon Burks, their second-year wide receiver who, you know, they drafted – literally minutes after trading A.J. Brown to the Philadelphia Eagles last year. They're expecting a lot out of him. He hasn't been available due to an injury. So, you know, Hopkins has made plays. He's done a lot of what the fans have expected him to do, but there's no consistency there because um, there hasn't been an established identity of this offense. They've been in too many third and long situations and um, a lot of negative plays, unfortunately. That's my next question for you, though, because – you know, Tannehill is going to be out after this season, most likely. You, you said that before earlier, too. I think a lot of people would also speculate that, whether it's his decision or it's mm-hmm. the team's decision, whatever it may be. But right. are you, I mean, are the fans concerned? Because you just mentioned about how Titans really don't have that offensive weaponry behind Hopkins and they don't have that identity either. But now they have two really young quarterbacks coming in with Willis and Levis. Um, so is that like a really big concern for Titans fans going down the road where you're going to have these two really young quarterbacks, inexperienced quarterbacks, and they really don't have a great offense to work with, to develop with? Mm-hmm. Sure it is. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I, w- I would imagine it is a concern amongst Titans fans because there's so much uncertainty at that position after this year. You know, everybody knew going in Tannehill again in the last year of his contract, but, you know, and he was going to be the starter this year for as long as, you know, they were competitive. And now, you know, again, we'll see. They're still technically in the hunt. They could still turn this season around. A lot of things can happen. But when you have uncertainty at the quarterback position, when you don't know beyond this year definitively who your guy under center is going to be, sure, that's cause for a lot of concern, consternation. And, you know, sooner or later, a decision is going to have to be made as to, you know, one of three things, right, guys? It's either going to be, are you going to try to bring Tannehill back for another year, maybe at a at a lower rate contract, a shorter term contract to kind of have him be the bridge for a couple more years? Are you going to give Willis his shot? Are you going to get Le- give Levis his shot? Or actually, I guess you could add a fourth option there. Are you going to look for another quarterback in the draft, which I don't think they're going to do. So, yeah, there's uncertainty at, at that position beyond th- this year. And there's uncertainty right now with Tannehill being injured and having getting carted off the field uh, in London against the Ravens. The good news is Titans are on their bye week, so you know there would be extra time for, for Tannehill to possibly heal up and get better. But, again, we don't know the extent. Is it a high ankle sprain? If it is, can he play on it? You know, is it a sprain? Is it a break? You know, we'll, we'll find out more information as the week goes on. So, you know, with whenever, <laughs> whenever a team has uncertainty at the quarterback position – it's an issue for the fan base. It's an issue for the organization. It's an it's an issue for everybody involved. Now, the coaching staff this year, do you think the coaching staff is on the hot seat? Or are they, with Mike Vrabel, do you think he's on the hot seat? Or do you think they will give him another year? And I know they just had a new GM. And mm-hmm. that could 
it could change. Maybe the new GM brings in his his guy at, at head coach. Does it happen this year, or what do we what do you think happens? Well, Vrabel just signed an extension last year, but you know that we all know that you know that doesn't necessarily mean long term uh, stability, right? You know because John Robinson, the old GM, got an extension on the same day, and less than twelve months later, he was fired in the middle of last season. So. I can tell you this, uh, the ownership group led by a- Amy Adams Strunk, they love Mike Vrabel. They love they love uh, the confidence and the swagger and the physicality he brings to this Tennessee Titans organization. You know, before he got here, it was a revolving door of coaches. It was bad play. There was a two-year stretch where they only won five games. Um, you know, Ken Wisenhunt was a disaster here. Mike Malarkey fought the good fight, but, you know, eventually, you know, he left because they wanted him to, you know, move on from members of his staff and he refused to do it. And as far as Rand Carthon goes, the new general manager, he has said from day one, he is here to put together the type of team that Vrabel can coach. So even though he's the GM, Vrabel has a lot of say in personnel and roster building a lot. So he is, he has a heavy influence on what the front office does. So I think, as far as the Titans go, they'd love to keep Vrabel on. You know, they've got we've got a new stadium that's going to be opening in a few years, and uh, you know, I think they would like Vrabel to be the coach when that happens. So, I think the decision would be more on Mike Vrabel's plate if he were to decide to move on, because you know, pretty much it's almost a guarantee after this year that uh, the organization is going to have to go through either a restart or a rebuild, however you want to categorize it. It's going to happen. Does Mike Vrabel want to be a part of it? And that I think that's more of a decision for him. So to answer your original question, I don't think from the front office's standpoint or the ownership standpoint, I should say, Vrabel's on the hot seat. I think they'd love to keep him around because he's done a lot for this organization. And, you know, not just a few years ago, got them one win away from going to the uh, Super Bowl, which would have only been the second Super Bowl appearance in this franchise's history. I think a lot of talk with the Titans is on the offense, like we just were talking about. But what are the fans' perspective on the defensive side of the ball? Are they pretty happy about that? You know, are they happy where that that's going, that progression, what they're seeing on Sundays from that side of the ball? Yeah, I mean, it started with the re-signing of Jeffrey Simmons, right? They're all pro-defensive tackle, a guy who, you know, has few peers amongst elite defensive tackles in this league. I mean, he's right up there with – you know, Aaron Donald and, and, and some and, and some of the other big name defensive linemen, you know, they re-signed him in the offseason. And we knew going into this season, guys, that this front seven was going to be elite. And they've been, you know, with Simmons, with Danico Autry, T.R. Tart went healthy. I mean, they are one of the best teams, if not the best teams, at stopping the run. And they've done a better job getting over, uh, getting after the quarterback. The problems lie in a couple of things. If you're able to get this front seven block, there are big plays to be made in the in the secondary because the secondary has struggled. Christian Fulton at corner and even Bayard at safety, Amani Hooker, the other safety. They've allowed some big plays in the passing game once the opposing team is able to get that front seven blocked. But, you know, they've been great against the run. And, I mean, you look at this game in London against the Ravens, guys, this game should have been a blowout. The defense played outstanding because – you know, the, the Ravens were driving the ball up and down the field, but they had to settle for six field goals, only scored one touchdown, and it kept the game within reach, but the offense just couldn't respond. So, yeah, this defense has been outstanding this year, and I don't want to say they're the only saving grace of this team, but, you know, they're they're the thing you point to. 
The only problem for this defense is they don't create enough turnovers, and that's been a problem. So, I mean, you know, the Titans' only touchdown uh, in the London game against the Ravens was off a turnover. Sean Murphy bunting, got the interception, and, you know, they were able to capitalize that, uh, capitalize on that and get seven and get into the end zone. So with this offense's inability to drive the field and score touchdowns, they can drive the field, they just can't get into the end zone. With this offense's inability to, you know, to do those things, this defense has had to take on a bigger role. And so far, they've been up to the task. So, yeah, this defense was – we all thought they would be really good, especially in the front seven going into the year, and they've proven to be. Because, again, that should have been a blowout on Sunday. And, you know, you look at the game 24-16, you're thinking, oh, okay, you know, back and forth kind of game, highly competitive. It really wasn't. But the defense made it a reachable game, but the offense couldn't capitalize. But so so far, so good on the defense – except for possibly the secondary. The last question about the Titans for you. What do you think? Sure. Tell me like the landscape in Nashville, you know, around the Titans, what, what the fan base, what's going to be happening if say, you know, after week 11, they play the Jaguars, say they're like three and seven, you know, uh, four mm-hmm. and six at this point, they, and they lose to the Jaguars. Things look really bleak, you know, for the playoff picture going forward. What do you see, you know, either clamoring from the fans, you know, what changes that they make, you know, on the Titans? Like, what do you see potentially happening? Whether that be, you know, let Will Levis play out the rest of the rest of the year and Malik Willis play out the rest of the year. They can, you know, uh, intermix snaps and what whatnot. But what do you, what do you uh, see as like happening uh, in that scenario? Sure. Um, I do believe if things kind of get out of hand and it's looking bleaker and bleaker for the playoffs, I do be- I could see a, a scenario where Ryan Tannehill is sat down, whether he's healthy or not, and perhaps Malik Willis gets the first crack at a couple of games. They'll evaluate him and then maybe work Will Levison. I could see that happening. And I think the fans would be okay with it, right? If the season's lost and you know going in that this is more than likely Tannehill's last year as a Titan. This is more than likely Derrick Henry's last year as a Titan. Okay, let's see what we have, right? Let's see what these younger quarterbacks can do. We've seen a lot from Willis, again, as I stated earlier, and, you know, the production really hasn't been there. We've seen him hold the ball too long, take too many sacks. So I'm sure the curiosity factor, since – Will Levis is kind of the shiny new toy now because he's the rookie quarterback as opposed to Willis last year. I'm sure the 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 uh, the clamoring for Willis will grow and grow and grow. Now, whether the team responds to that, I don't know. But I could see a first a scenario if you paint the picture, like you said, four and six, three and seven, clearly more than likely out of the playoff picture, maybe you know, mathematically still alive. And we've seen that. And the NFL just does that, guys, as you know, to keep fan bases interested, even though they know there's no way in hell that they have a chance to make the playoffs. I could see a a scenario where the Titans do decide, all right, let's see what we have from these young quarterbacks because you got to start building for the future, right? We know that the future more than likely does not uh, include Ryan Tannehill. It does not include Derrick Henry. So I could even see Ty J. Spears, their rookie running back, who's played really well this year out of Tulane. And it's basically not split carries with Derrick Henry, but he's gotten a lot of action. I could see him getting more opportunities to show what he can do. And, and you know, we've seen teams do this in the past, and you have to build for the future. You have to know what you have going into an offseason when it looks like your current season is probably over in terms of playoff possibilities.
I want to move on to the Predators. Predators always are an intriguing team to me because they always seem to have a very, very loyal fan base. Regular season, Mm -hmm. postseason, it doesn't matter. They always seem to be very passionate. Not only show up in numbers, but just be very passionate fans in general. I want to ask just a question about the fan base first, then we can kind of dig in deeper into just the specifics of the team. But what is it about Nashville that people, (laughs) like what is it in hockey in Nashville that is is such a good fit? Because like I said, the Predators are one of the, you know, highly rated teams in the league. They're one of the most mm-hmm. uh, followed teams in the league. Uh, like I said, most a very fun team, team to watch, team to root for. Fans love them. What is it about Nashville specifically that makes hockey such a nice fit for that city? That's a great question. Nashville is a world-class hospitality and entertainment city. We love to be entertained. You go down Broadway, they start with live music at 10 a.m. and it goes all the way through till 2.30 the next morning. It's nonstop. It's entertainment. It's a good time. And that's what the folks down here want. And over the last, you know, several years, you know, the, the, the Predators have played some entertaining hockey. They had that great run in 2017 all the way to the Stanley Cup final where they lost in six games to the Pittsburgh Penguins. And, you know, they love a team that just works hard and gives it their all. And the Predators have have done that and they've shown that. And so the fan base has kind of fallen in love with this team. And, you know, it started slowly. You know, this is the 25th year of the Nashville Predators, 25th year of the Titans here in in Nashville as well. And, you know, when they first got here back in 1998, guys, nobody, you know, nobody in the Mid-South knew anything about hockey. And, but the, but their organization did such a great job of reaching out into the community and educating the community, whether it was, um, GM David Poyle or their first head coach, Barry Trotz, who, of course, is now the um, general manager. And also, you know, Pete Weber and Terry, Terry Crisp, the, the legendary broadcasters here for the Nashville Predators. They went, went out to the community. They had hockey 101 sessions like, OK, this is icing. This is offsides. This is a cross check. You know, wow. basic hockey 101. And, you know, they had a plan from day one. Hey, let's get the folks here in Nashville, excited about A, hockey, B, having an NHL hockey team here. Let's slowly build. But they realize, listen, if they're going to stick with us, we have to win. We have to make the playoffs. We have to make a run at the Stanley Cup. And so they've been able to build that over time. And so that's kind of how the relationship has grown. And, you know, you go to a, you know, you go to a, a, a Preds game at Bridgestone Arena on a Monday or Tuesday night, it's probably three quarters full and everybody's cheering like it's a playoff game. So, and then afterwards, I mean, you know, the, the, the arena is right on Broadway. So afterwards you go out and you hit the honky tonks and go have a good time. And, and so it all just kind of ties into, you know, what the spirit of Nashville is about, especially Nash, uh, downtown Nashville, go out, have a good time and enjoy yourself. And so, you know, it's a, it's a perfect marriage. Did it take a long time for fans to become accustomed to the? I mean, like you said, they had to do some work. It sounds like to get mm-hmm. you know, which any new fan base, any new city does. Sure. But um, did it take a long time for fans to come on to the Predators? Yeah, I would say probably the better part of six or seven years. You know, because when they first came in as an expansion team, they didn't have the advantages that the Seattle Kraken had mm-hmm. or Good the point. Vegas Golden Knights had in terms of having that expansion draft where you can build a pretty darn good competitive roster right away from year one. They had to start from scratch. They had to grab guys that were, you know, considered washed up or, or you know, near the ends of their careers and just try to piecemeal this thing together. And so there wasn't a lot of winning for this franchise uh, early on. So it took a while. 
But man, once the once the ball got rolling, it really it really really uh, snowballed. And of course, the crescendo was 2017. You guys saw how not only Nashville but all of America just fell in love with this Predators team and this city of Nashville and all the people going to the games and hanging out outside the arena that couldn't get tickets for these Stanley Cup games or these or these playoff games. Man, it was uh, it was an incredible time to be a part of it. It was uh, one of one of my most enjoyable times, and I've been doing this a long time, guys. I'm an old man, 27 out of the last 30 years. I've been doing this in various markets. That was one of the funnest, you know, title runs. And I've, I've been a part of title runs with the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, way back in the day. The Buffalo Sabres made a run to the Stanley Cup final. I was there for that. This was this was incredible. And ever since then, you know, it's been an unconditional love affair between the fans and the Nashville Predators, for sure. Let's go into the uh, specifics of this uh, of this year, though, this season. Obviously, very early in the year. Only three games have been played so far by the Predators. But mm-hmm. last year, barely lost. I mean, barely barely missed out in the playoffs, excuse me, uh, through the Winnipeg. Uh, through Winnipeg. Uh, just three games behind them, I think, in their division. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then they didn't miss the playoffs before then and since 2014. So definitely a team that right. is accustomed to making the playoffs now I'm assuming that's the expectation for the for the fans every single year. They have high hopes for the Predators. It sounds like they're obviously a, you know a great a great fan base, and the Predators have been good for a very long time. What is mm-hmm. I mean, what is realistically the fan base's thinking going forward this year? I mean, do they have are they uh, hopeful that they can make it all the way to the Stanley Cup again, like they did back in 2017? Well, you know, it kind of started. You mentioned the playoffs, right? They they had made up until last year, they had made the playoffs eight straight years. And that was tied with the Washington Capitals for the second longest streak uh, in the NHL. Um, the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, had their, had their uh, yep. streak snapped at 16 straight years. And I, I was there for the start of that when Sidney Crosby first got there. But what, what, what had happened guys was, yeah, they were making the playoffs every, every year. And they had that great run in 2017 that we just spoke of. But after that run, things slowly started to decrease, right? The next year, they win the President's Trophy, but they were bounced in the second round of playoffs. And every year after that, yeah, they made the playoffs, but they couldn't get out of the first round. And so the fans kind of grew accustomed to, yeah, we're going to make the playoffs, but we're not going to go very far. And the front office decided, you know what? We need to shake things up. Things are getting a little stale. Yeah, it's great to make the playoffs every year because the fan base gets excited and it's great you know, additional revenue for the club and all that. But, you know, we want to go beyond that. We want to get back to making those deep playoff runs that we like we did in 2017. So midway through last season, they basically had a fire sale. They got rid of some veterans. They made some trades. Um, You know, David Poyle, their longtime general manager, who had been the only general manager in club history, announced he was stepping down. They made a lot of moves at the trade deadline. And they decided, you know what, we're going to mix in some veterans and some younger players. You know, they still have your core players and Roman Yossi and Philip Forsberg and their goaltender, UC Soros, and, you know, guys like Colton Sissons who have been around. But we need to shake things up. And so they said goodbye to some veterans that were making, you know, a lot of money, but really weren't providing the leadership and the production that they wanted. You know, guys like Matthew Shane, guys like Ryan Johansson, they moved on from those guys. They signed guys like Ryan O'Reilly, a former Conn Smythe Trophy winner, you know, Stanley Cup uh, champion. You know, they keep Yossi. They keep Forsberg. You know, Barry Trotz comes in as a new general manager. And, you know, he decides to part ways with the head coach, John Hines. They bring in Andrew Burnett, who's had some success uh, with the Florida Panthers, I believe. And he was a former Predator. And so 
they've done a good job, I think, of mixing these veteran guys with these younger guys. And it's not so much a reset, but it's kind of a re-establishing of the organization. And so um, I think the fans expect a, a, a feisty competitive team this year. I think they're a fringe playoff team. Um, I, they could maybe make a seven or an eight seed. I do not believe they are a legit Stanley Cup competitor because I think this team realizes, especially in the Western Conference, man, there is some high-end talent. You know, you look at the guys on Edmonton, mm-hmm. you look at the guys yeah. on Winnipeg and, and, and some of these other teams. You know, the, the Predators have good players. They do not have elite players right now. And so they need to kind of build towards that to make a serious run. So I think the expectation is – you know, they're going to be an entertaining team to watch. You know, Brunette's style is a little bit different from John Hines's and, and Peter Laviolette's in that, you know, they want to constantly generate offense. You know, you look at what they've done so far early in the season. They want to they want to quickly get the puck to the forwards and have them, you know, get into the offensive zone as quick as possible and try to generate uh, more scoring chances, more pucks to the net. And, you know, the defensemen, they've, they've got some good offensive defensemen. Yossi, a couple of years ago, had almost 100 points uh, as a defenseman, which was the most point. I think he had 96, which was the most uh, by an NHL defenseman since like 2003, 2002, something like that. So he may be the ex- the exception, but the feeling is, hey, defenseman, get the ball, get ball, sorry, get the puck to the to the offensive players, to the forwards, and let them try to create havoc. And even though I believe what the Preds are one and two to start the season, they generated a lot of offensive chances. So. I think you're going to see a lot more scoring from this team this year. They've got solid goaltending in UC Soros, who's a perennial uh, Vesna Trophy uh, candidate and finalist. In terms of how far they'll go this year, I think it would be a really good accomplishment to just make the playoffs and get in. And they barely, like you said, barely missed last year, even after having a fire sale. So I could see them as a fringe playoff team, a lower seed in the West, maybe, you know, maybe winning a round, maybe. But uh, I think the long-term prognosis for this team is pretty darn good because it, it looks like Barry Trotz in the front in the new front office. There's new ownership. There's a new head coach. I think what they're building is going to be good long-term. Short-term, it'll be exciting. It'll be fun to watch. But, yeah, are they a Stanley Cup contender this year? Not by a long shot. Yeah, uh, you mentioned the fire sale. I mean, are the, through the and they missed the playoffs You know, last year, even barely. Are the fans – perspective like the fans themselves are they concerned that you know they might have just changed up too much at one time no no i think i think they're excited about it i think they've wanted this you know a lot of these moves were made when you listen to david boyle uh in his exit interviews before he stepped down as general manager uh back in uh, late june a lot of this was generated by fan feedback saying you know what kind of like what we talked about earlier we've seen this team make the playoffs you know, you can't get out of the first round. What are we doing? You know, we, we need to, you know, we need more. We need to infuse more energy into this club. I think the fans are welcoming this. I think the fans are excited about this. You know, I covered the uh, opening, uh, the home opener last week against the Seattle Kraken. I mean, fans were lined up down the street. They were really excited to see what this team could do. So I would say on the con- con- contrary, I think the fans are, are, wa- are have wanted this. They've wanted, you know, to kind of shake things up because things had gotten a little stale. I mean, it, you know, yep. it's great. Like I said, it's make it's great to make the playoffs every year, but if you can't get out of the first round, you know, it, you're only playing four or five, maybe six, seven more games. And, and what's the point? So, no, I think the fans are on board with this. They love Trotsy from his days here as the head coach. He's 
You know, he's the original first head coach of the Nashville Predators. He's beloved by the fans. They are super excited that he has come home to be the general manager and help build this team. They're super excited that a guy like Andrew Burnett is, uh, you know, a former Predator, a guy that was, you know, here from the early days where things were not so good, is come back to coach this team. And they know about the success he's had as an assistant in other places. So, no, I, I, I think they're pumped up. And I think they're realistic enough to know that, you know, Maybe not this year, but maybe, you know, a couple of years down the road, we could be right back where we were back in 2017, making a deep playoff run and, and competing for that Stanley Cup. But the fans want that cup to come here real bad. And so, you know, I I personally, if you're asking me, I, I love what the Predators are doing. I think the fact that, you know, they finally decided, you know what, what we were doing was good, but we can go to another level and here's what we need to do it. I love what they're doing right now. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they do this year, but I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what they do a couple of years down the road. Yeah. You don't want to see a team just sit idle by and, you know, get into that purgatory zone where, you know, you don't really do bad enough to get good draft picks and you don't, you don't get far enough in the playoffs either. So I agree with you. I always like when teams make moves to kind of, you know, down the line, even, even if it will be like three, four years in the future, I'm always down for teams, you know, making those mm-hmm. moves to, to better a team. You know, the thing about it, Jared, is mm-hmm. you got to be honest with your fan base. That, that's always been my belief. You know, don't don't sit there and say, no, we're trying to win when it's obvious that you're, re, you know, you're retooling, you're rebuilding. Just just cop to it, you know. And the fans here in Nashville, like I said, they love the, the Predators unconditionally. And, I, and, you know, I think Poyle and Trotz have done a good job of being honest with the fans and saying, you know, we're, and, and Trotz even said this uh, when it was announced he was going to become the new general manager. He said, listen, we may have to take two steps back to take several steps forward uh, in the future. Just bear with us. We're working on it. We're building it. And, uh, you know, the fans have responded. They, they, they seem on board with what they're doing. What made Trotz want to be a general manager? Because I know he's been a head coach at several different stops. After Nashville, mm-hmm. he went to the Capitals. Then he went to the Islanders. He mm-hmm. left the Islanders, obviously. They parted ways with him. But now mm-hmm. he's back in Nashville. Do you think he always wanted to be a GM? Or do you think that he wanted to be a head coach? Or do you think it's what you said, the Nashville Predators are, are very, um, you know, very, very near and dear to him as yeah. his, you know, in his career as a head coach? Yeah, you mentioned it. You know, he after he left uh, um, the Predators as head coach, went on to Washington, Won the Stanley Cup uh, there, and you know they they let him go like an hour afterwards, which I still don't understand. He did have success with the New York Islanders, got them to the conference finals, I think, a couple times. I can tell you this, and this is God's honest truth: Trotsy wears his heart on his sleeve, and he loves this city, he loves these fans, and he loves the Nashville Predators organization, and he wants to do everything in his power to help them win that Stanley Cup, and you know he. He had options when he left the Islanders. He had options. I mean, he's been a very successful coach and a, and a great guy to have be the face of your organization. He had options to be a coach. But, you know, it was according to him, it was just kind of a conversation that he had with David Poyle. They've always been close from their days working together in the original days of the Predators. And it was just kind of brought up. What about, you know, you ever consider maybe being our GM? And Trotsky was like, I don't know. You know, and he thought about it and he molded over and he decided, yeah, this is what I want to do. So this is a great opportunity for him. And like I said, his love for this city, his love for that organization is what brought him home. And the fans are super excited about it. So um, 
I don't think before having that conversation with David Poyle, he ever considered being an NHL GM. But, you know, I think he's at a point in his career. I mean, like I said, successful coach. He's won a Stanley Cup. Why not give this a try in the place where he never wanted to leave in the first place? It was a very emotional press conference when it was announced that he would no longer be the head coach here and they were moving on from him. And, um, you know, he just absolutely loves this area, these fans, that franchise. And uh, he's excited to be back and try to build a Stanley Cup winner. He, I think he figures if I couldn't do it as a head coach, maybe I can build a team to where Andrew Burnett or another coach can win it. So I think it's a perfect fit. It's a perfect marriage. And you know that if the Predators don't reach their ultimate goal, which is winning the Stanley Cup, it won't be because Barry Trotz didn't bust his butt trying. I guarantee you that. He is going to do everything possible he can to try to build a team that can win a Stanley Cup here in Nashville because he wants it not so much for himself, but for this city and for this franchise. Well, John, can't thank you enough for your time. This has been great. Really appreciate you coming on and giving us the insight. Hopefully, you know, Nyquist and O'Reilly, they picked up, you know, this past yep. offseason too can help uh, lift the team, you know, get past that hump. I know a lot of, you know, preseason power rankings had Nashville roughly around like, you know, the bottom two thirds, like 20, 21, 22, yep. somewhere around there. That's what I saw. So yeah, hopefully those additions and the, you know, the new coaching staff, GM, everything that they're doing in Nashville can help, you know, get them past that, uh, you know, over that, you know, maybe at least top 15, maybe even top 10 team in the league, prove all those uh, preseason power rankings wrong. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, the good, the good part about it is right. It starts and ends with goaltending. They've got solid. They're going to get solid goaltending pretty much every night with UC Soros. And you mentioned Nyquist and obviously Shen and uh, some of the other guys they picked up. We mentioned Ryan O'Reilly, uh, who I think is going to be a great, great uh, lift to this to this uh, dressing room. And of course, you know Ryan McDonough, who they traded for last year. I know he's hurt most of last year. He's back healthy. So, it, you know, we mentioned Roman Yossi and, and and Philip Forsberg. They've got a lot of leadership in that dressing room, and so. Um, with the goaltending they have and some of the skill they have, they could surprise some people this year. So I think it's going to be an exciting year in what we call Smashville down here. Well, John, we'll, we'll, we'll keep uh, we'll keep up to date with everything, and you know we'll, we'll definitely follow them closely and rooting for the best for the, both the Predators and the Titans uh, this this upcoming year. Well, rest of the year for the Titans, and then this upcoming year, I just say for <laughs> for the Predators. So absolutely, guys, and thank you so much for having me on. It was a, it was a blast, and have me on again anytime. Love to come back on. I know, yeah. We'll do this again soon sometime, okay? Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. That interview was brought to you by Philly Drinkers. The Continental Sports Podcast has partnered with Philly Drinkers, the go-to place for the greatest sports clothing that you can get your hands on. They specialize in partying hard and looking great while doing it. Owned and operated by diehard sports fans, they don't just love sports, they love what sports stand for. Most importantly, they understand that you always want to rep your favorite team anywhere you go, whether it be a sporting event or grabbing a couple of drinks with the guys. Their apparel and products always have unique designs and slogans, all while bringing out great vibes. Head to phillydrinkers.com today and get your one-of-a-kind merchandise. Philly Drinkers, always party. Okay, let's finish the show, guys. Let's do our intakes and outtakes of the week. Justin, who is your intake of the week? Intake of the week, I got Paul Feinbaum's take about the big Pac-12 being the best conference in college football. The Pac-12, even though they're probably going to dissolve at the end of the year, is very much overachieving. And this is not a conference that should dissolve at the end of the year. You look at Oregon and Washington, that was, that was probably the best game of the year so far. They were basically in the top ten 
top 15 teams this week in college football. So I'd say the Pac-12 needs to keep going, and they are the best conference right now in college football. My intake of the week? Uh, Air Force finally ranked, uh, finally ranked in the AP poll. First time ranked uh, in the regular season since 2010 when they were ranked 25. Air Force 6 and 0. First time being 6 and 0. Best start, I should say, uh, since 2002 when they went 6 and 0 as well. 4 and 0 in the Mountain West for the first time in program history. Uh, Air Force has won 11 straight games dating back to last season, which is the fourth longest active streak in the nation and second longest in program history. Yeah, so Air Force ranked top, uh, t- breaking the top 25 ranking by the AP poll. Zach, what is your intake of the week? Yeah, I'm going to stay with the poll in college football. My intake is going to be North Carolina cracking into the top 10. They're the only team in college football to beat every Power 5 opponent they've played this year by double digits, and they did it against Miami, beat them 41-31. All the attention's on Caleb Williams, but if we're talking great quarterbacks in this draft class, Drake May takes a backseat to pretty much nobody. North Carolina runs the ball effectively with Amari and Hampton, and how about Tez Walker finally getting to be eligible you know, background went scorched earth on the NCAA over that. Well, he had a good reason because Tez Walker had three touchdowns in this game. This is maybe the most underrated team in college football. And with their schedule, I think there's a chance North Carolina is undefeated and playing undefeated Florida State in the ACC championship game. Of course, that's a little bit down the road. But North Carolina right now, definitely a top 10 team in football, not basketball. Yeah, no. Yeah, good good correction. Um, Justin. Uh, how about you? What's your outtake of the week? Finish us up with the outtakes of the week. Well, after the Vikings win going two and four, it's time to put the Kirk Cousins trade rumors to rest. I've, I've kept saying this. I think Kirk Cousins is an av- above average quarterback. I think he's better than I would say maybe not 75, but 70% of the quarterbacks in the league. I think that the Vikings, it's going to, he's going to finish out the year. He said he's going to finish out the year in Minnesota. So, the Vikings will not trade Kirk Cousins. My outtake of the week, we touched on it, er, touched on it earlier. I was going to say Shadir Sanders uh, throwing up his Instagram link for his merch uh, during halftime of the Stanford game when they were up 29-0. We all know how that game ends up. Uh, very bad look for Shadir and just Colorado in general. I am going to go with just people still riding very high on Caleb Williams. I think uh, there was an anonymous report by NFL scout that came out or not NFL scout, NFL GM, excuse me. He said that Caleb Williams would have actually been uh, picked number one overall in 2020 or 2021 being picked over Joe Burrow or Trevor Lawrence. That's definitely not the case. Uh, I don't think that's the case at all. He was still too young and even look at him this past Saturday, how he played uh, this past Saturday. Uh, definitely not somebody that would be pick above Joe Burrow or Trevor Lawrence. A lot of people are still saying that he's going to get picked number one overall, though, next year in the draft. I don't know about that. It's still a lot of time to tell. I think they played really, really bad this past Saturday. So a lot more games to play, and we have to see him play a lot better than he did uh, this past weekend to uh, to get that nod as a top uh, top overall pick above all these other quarterbacks that are still going to be coming out this uh, this year. Zach, how about you? What is your outtake of the week? 
Yeah, how about the Marlins firing general manager Kim Ng? It's, it's a bad decision. She's the first woman GM in the history of baseball, the NFL, NBA, or NHL. And they're getting rid of her because they want a new president of baseball operations. And I don't really know why, because she made some great moves getting Jake Berger and Josh Bell at the trade deadline to help the Marlins make the playoffs this year and improve by 15 wins. So usually that gets you a promotion or at least keep, allows you to keep your job. And the fact that she's losing hers over, you know, it seems like a power struggle. It, it's something that I do not understand. Uh, good show, guys. We're going to be back on Thursday. Uh, Bob Sokey from the uh, New England's play-by-play caller for the Patriots. He's going to join us, talk all things Patriots, uh, you know, the season they're having so far, the struggles that they're having. And uh, we're going to talk with him, get all of his insight into the team and, you know, what they do going forward this year and uh, particularly in the offseason, you know, what they have to do to kind of get back to their winning ways. So until then, we'll talk to you Thursday. But um, yeah, well, until then, keep on traveling. <laughs>